Good morning, church. Good morning. Wow, great to see you coming back and uh, attending. Uh, and for those of you that are at home, and I know there are quite a number of you tuning in online, it's great to have you tuning in, and I somehow hope that distance is transcended by our unity in Christ. And that as a church, we are together, uh, whether at home or here. I do want to also let you know that uh, next week we will be regathering our children and providing nursery care and also junior church care. Amen. Amen. From Jana. Jana misses her kids and she is going to be ministered. So if you know people that have children uh, of nursery or uh, junior uh, children's church age, let them know if they don't know already that we'll be reconvening and that'll be great to have kids back also. I, uh, I'm so inspired this morning by so many things, by you being here. Uh, this is inspirational. Uh, <laughs> last week we had uh, a great smaller crowd, but a great crowd and a great spirit and I feel the same way here today. So good to see you this morning. And I just gotta say a couple things. I didn't plan on saying this, and please give me the grace to say it briefly before we get into the word. I'm so inspired by godly men in our church. Amen. And to have deacons come up on this platform and share their heart. Thank you, Deacon Shea. Thank you for sharing vital, important truths that the church needs to hear and praying for us and for laboring on the search committee. Amen? Amen. And they want to labor and they want to find us our new pastor. It just takes a lot more time than any church wants to take, right? We want to have a new pastor a week after the old one left. It just doesn't work that way. But he will come in God's timing. Just keep praying for the search committee. And I've seen so many leaders step up in these last weeks and do so much. Thank you, Keith, for all you're doing technically. God bless Keith and the tech crew uh, for what they do behind the scenes. You don't know the time they put in. God bless them. God bless the rest of our deacons and doing things as a leadership team right now. And God bless uh, uh, Brian for being up here. I, I felt so New Testament today. Where are you, Brian? Are you here? Oh, there you are. I felt so New Testament today. Did you? I, I, you know, there was no, uh, what do they call, flash pots or smoking things or no light shows, no foo-foo. But God was here ministering through our brother. Thank you so much for that. Amen? Amen. For stepping up. And um, thank you, church, for praying. We're praying for our our elder Dan Olson, aren't we? And we're praying for his family. This is a difficult time for them. It's a difficult time for our church because when our church family hurts, we hurt, right? Yeah, I mean, we hurt with them. How many of you have experienced some angst and pain for our brother and for Julie and, 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 and the rest of the family? I hope you're watching, by the way. But we're praying for you and uh, for uh, God's blessing on you. And um, I, I don't know, I guess I'm bursting my buttons for more than one reason, you know, because I'm proud of you as the church. And uh, 
Let's just keep hanging together in unity, shall we? All right, amen to that. Let's get a good amen. Let's stay together in unity, amen? Amen. Amen. Let's do nothing but love each other. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word this morning, I thank you for the lifted faces this morning. I thank you for their, their open and loving expressions. I thank you for their willingness to be here. I thank you for more people filtering back and I look forward to our children coming back next week. And I thank you for those at home that out of an abundance of caution for this group here, that they want to be healthy and they want to be um, um, productive in our body and so many of them have stayed home and I know they long to be here but they've been kind and considerate uh, to, uh, to get to the place where they can be here in good conscience. Thank you for them and thank you for those that, that are there that cannot be here for what re- one reason or another. Uh, just bless them this morning and all of us together as we hear your word and what you want to say to us. We pray for our church, Lord. Pray for its future. We know that you have a plan and a purpose and a reason for us being here. We have a role in this community that you want to fulfill. And Lord, teach us what you want to teach us through these difficult days. You are, you do have a plan, but you also, in this plan, have things to tell us. Help us to grow. We don't grow without adversity. It's, we don't grow on the mountaintop, we grow in the valley. So teach us all the lessons you want us to learn, Lord, and then move us forward to fulfill your great commandment and great commission uh, in this church. We love you, Lord, we submit to your timing, and we submit to one another in love. And all God's people said, amen. We know a couple who um, live in Alaska and they like to fish, and uh, we, were Facebooked a video of them fishing, and their boat was really small. I mean, it's like, looks almost like a rowboat to me, but they like to go out and fishing, and fishing, and they were out fishing in what looked to me like open water, and all of a sudden, right in front of their little, tiny little fishing rowboat slash bathtub kind of boat, this huge whale crests in front of them. A huge whale, not just, a, a small whale, but a, 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 a big whale, and it was interesting to hear the responses of my, my, this couple in the boat. The, the wife kind of yelled out in panic, and, uh, and, the, and, and he, the husband said, I, and I still remember his words, it's okay, just a real calm, calm voice, and uh, I gotta admit something. If I were in that boat, <laughs> I would have been the one yelling. Uh, I'm a yeller. I would have been the one that kind of threw my hands up in panic and wondered, is that whale's tail going to flip me into open water and am I going to get hypothermia in three minutes and die? You know. How do you respond when you are faced with threatening circumstances? Do you respond with peace or do you respond with panic? We've had a lot of practice lately, haven't we? with threatening circumstances. Well, the bottom line is, no matter what's happening in our world, in our society, in our personal life, in our church, threatening circumstances are unavoidable. They are. You can't not be threatened by threatening circumstances. And they come in endless forms, but in general, threatening circumstances uh, are coming in the form of unexpected crises or 
um, unsolvable problems or dilemmas. We feel threatened by these things. And the, the areas specifically that they can come in are endless. I mean, threatening circumstances. I, mean, I could sit here the rest of the sermon and talk about the areas of threatening circumstances. I'm just, just a, a few things. They, they can come within our families, within our family structures. Um, when a loved one is struggling or, or something, or, or uh, under some kind of oppression or a persecution. Um, they, they, uh, threatening circumstances can come within a marriage. I mean, let's be real you know, about that. Uh, threatening circumstances can come within our workplace, having something to do with our job um, or, the, or, or, or the atmosphere at work can be very threatening, okay? Or financial areas. I think there's probably not anybody in this building that hasn't been financially threatened at one time or another. I think it's actually good to be threatened in financial areas because then we can see how God provides, but still, they can be very, very threatening. Um, I think that we can be threatened by our future, no matter what age. I, you can go from grade school up to senior adults. We can be threatened by our futures and, and even by our health. We all have, well, many of us have health issues that threaten us. I think we can also be threatened by when we've had a lifelong dream or a hope and, and it's starting to become apparent that that's not gonna be fulfilled. And it's threatening because for many years we thought, you know, this is, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to have. And all of a sudden, you realize that's not going to happen. Or the chances are against it, and you feel threatened by that, that deadline that you're approaching. And, 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 a, and a place where you, you're not going to be able to see those dreams fulfilled. And then finally, I, for a couple more, I think we're, we can be threatened by national uh, current events. I don't want to go into the specifics, but where our nation is at. And the health crisis also that our nation is experiencing. And then, as uh, Deacon Shea mentioned, uh, we're looking for a pastor. And as, as much as we're praying, and we are, and God's going to answer, that can be threatening. Who? When? How? Where? That child is being threatened right now. <laughs> and we all want to cry out like that beautiful little girl or boy. I can't see now all the way there. Boy? Boy? What? I'm asking Joe if it's a boy. <laughs> what a silly question. Love you, Joe. Well, the writer of Psalm 46 knew what it felt like to be threatened. Boy, did he ever. Um, there are some difficult things going on uh, in his life and in the life of the Jews in the history of that time. Um, the very existence of Israel was being threatened and the city of Jerusalem was being threatened and uh, this writer knew what it was like to experience turmoil, disappointment, and adversity and fear. And yet, in the very midst of that comes this classic psalm that we're going to look at today, Psalm 46, if you want to go there in your Bible or read on the screen. In that psalm are some things that he found to be the secret 
to obtaining supernatural peace in the midst of threats, threatening circumstances. Now, you say, haven't you been going through the book of Hebrews? The answer is, yes, I have. I've been going through the book of Hebrews, but desperate times call for desperate measures. I don't want to over-dramatize that, but I feel called by God to take a turn out of Hebrews, and I'm I'm gonna get back, but to, to, to go to where I think God can minister to us in the strongest possible way. And so I, I've, I'm taking a left turn here to see how we can deal with the threats that are upon us in a very powerful way today. Last week, I went to Psalm 142, and the title was, When You Feel Powerless. And the answer was, practice sincere prayer, understand that God has a precise knowledge of our problem, Repeat our problem to God, make him our portion and refuge, and then rely on God's perfect timing and goodness to answer. And if you didn't hear that sermon, uh, it might be helpful to go back into Psalm 142. But today we're going to go into Psalm 46. And in that Psalm we find that when circumstances threaten us, God gives us some truths to fasten onto to deal with this stuff in a very, how do I put it, hmm, effective way, effective way. And so the title of the message is When Circumstances Threaten to Overtake You. The first truth that God gives us when circumstances threaten to overtake us is that God is close. And he's always close. He's always close. Look at verse one in in Psalm 46. I'm gonna read verses one through three and seven and 11. Um, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. And verse seven says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now the tendency, and I hope that you'll agree with me because I don't feel like I'm the only one here. But the tendency when threatening or difficult circumstances to descend upon our lives is to forget the nearness of God. It's almost like as Christians we become temporary atheists. Now, that doesn't mean we don't believe in God or Jesus, but the very thought that God is right there with us kind of goes out the window when threats descend upon us. I think if we were all honest, we might feel that way sometimes. That's Satan's strategy, by the way. Satan's strategy in our lives is to fill our minds with threatening circumstances until God isn't present in our thinking. And don't think it can't happen with a Christian. It just can't. It happens with me, and I think it can happen with you. But the psalmist writes, God is my, what's his first reaction? His first reaction is, upon being threatened, God's my refuge. God is my refuge. That word refuge means an immediate, accessible place of protection when trouble comes where we can hide and nothing can touch us unless it goes through him first. You know, we can learn a lot from these guys. He says, when I'm threatened by my circumstances, by what's happening in my society, in my own life, in the life of my church, I can go to a place where 
I can find immediate accessible protection and hide there and nothing can touch me unless it goes through him first. And it says, it says God is my strength. He, he's my adequacy and sufficiency. Now why does he say that? Why could he say that? Why did he say that? Why did the psalmist turn to God as his refuge and strength when his circumstances threaten him? And the answer here is in verse one. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's why he could say that, because he knew that God was right there. Right there. He was close. He was ever-present in times of trouble. The word trouble there in Hebrew can mean a place where I'm restricted, I'm cramped, I'm confined to a tight space, I'm in a troubled situation for myself, for my church family, and I can go to God because he's there, and I can break those, those bondages of uh, trouble. Now, what does ever-present mean? This is the good part of this first point. Ever-present means that God is omnipresent. Now, again, what does that mean? I hope this is like a, I hope this is, we understand this. When it says that God is ever-present, it means there is no place anywhere where God is not fully or completely there all of the time. God, whatever present means that God is completely present everywhere. Chew on that for a while. God, it's not like he's on his throne, and he is. I can't explain this fully. And he sees someone far away and says, I see you. It's not what it's talking about. It means that God is always, everywhere, all of the time. Pretty awesome thought. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, am I, not, am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord, do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I had to lower my voice for that part. We, we, we've all sung it a grillion times. Holy, holy, holy. But what is after that in Isaiah 6? The whole earth is filled with his what? His glory. It's filled. God's full glory is with us here right now. And when we're home, alone. I mean, is there any attribute more necessary that we need right now? And more, the attribute more quickly forgotten in the heat of the moment? Ever-present means that God is always there with us and for us, completely, always, there, in front of us, for us, in the midst of whatever's going on. Amen. Pass the potatoes, you know. It's a good meal here. And, you know, verse 7 and 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. Verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. What's that, what's he repeating that for? He's repeating because he doesn't want us to feel alone. He's always there and he's willing to help. That has to saturate our mind. I was gonna go to Psalm 137, but I don't have time to do that. So let's go to Psalm 130, 139 instead, Psalm 139. 
in verse seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God is near. He is there regardless of our circumstances. I mean, Hebrews chapter 13, five. We're not there yet, but we'll get there. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, says the Lord. At the Great Commission, Jesus said to his disciples and to his disciples to us, I will be with you, what? Always. God's not a part-time God. Now, this gets even better. And I'm, this is probably my longest point, so I'll get you to the end here on time. But what happens when we remember that? This is the carrot that I'm dangling out to you this morning. What happens when we remember that? Here's the good part. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not, what? Fear. God's omnipresence is the answer to fear. The word fear here implies violent emotions, inner turmoil, We all struggle with fear, fear of the future, fear of the what ifs. They can take a toll on us, wear us out, paralyze us, exhaust us. So one of the fear and all the stuff that it produces, I think is one, if not the greatest tactic of the devil to rob us of mental and emotional health. I really do. And often our fears are totally groundless. Debbie and I were watching a movie a while ago, and it wasn't a Christian movie. It was a good movie, but it wasn't a Christian movie. But one of the principal actors in the film said this. I quote it. Normally, what we fear does not turn out to be as bad as we thought. So true. Mark Twain said something interesting. He said, I have experienced many terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. The devil likes to paralyze us with what ifs. But God is near. And when we understand that God is near, our fear takes a long walk off a short pier. Our fears are broken. If we remember that he is present with us, no upheaval in our lives can destroy us. He gives three upheavals here that are all metaphors. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. In other words, though physical, visible, material things in our lives collapse and go, go to pieces, his presence keeps us from being fearful. And then in verse three, he says, though the waters roar and foam. It's a metaphor for emotional stress and anxiety. Though we, we are threatened with emotional distress and anxiety, God's nearness just shatters that. And then he says, though the mountains quake with their surgings. Mountains in the scriptures can often be pictures of secure foundations. And he's saying here in the psalm, though the foundations of family or friends or finances or the future that we once depended on are shaken, when we know that God is close, that he's near, that he's omnipresent, that he's completely everywhere and for us as Christians, there's nothing that can take advantage of us. 
our fears are shattered. Dr. Charles Stanley says, the disciple of Jesus Christ is never the victim of circumstance, the pawn of fate or the causality of time or chance. Whatever your circumstance, you are an overcomer through your union with Christ whose power and wisdom no fear can withstand. In the midst of your circumstances, focus on the preeminent presence of Christ. If your attention is riveted to a constant rehearsal of what has happened, you are an easy prey for Satan's discouragement. I mean, I have to say, if you can't say amen, say ouch, because it's true. Do you realize that God is right there with you while you're going through difficult circumstances? So that's the first truth that we need to remember when we're threatened by our circumstances. God is close, he's near, he's present. Can I get an amen this morning? Oh, very, well, that's, that's beautiful. Second truth we need to remember when we're facing threatening circumstances, not only is he close, he's concerned. He's not just close, he is concerned. Look at verses four and five. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. There is a river that makes glad the city of God. Now the city of God that's being referred to here is the city of what? Jerusalem. One problem. Jerusalem doesn't have a river. So did the psalmist kind of take a leave of his senses? I mean, Damascus had a river, Babylon had a river, Nineveh had a river, lots of places had rivers. Jerusalem had no river. I mean, they had sources of water, but not like a river. So what, do verses, what does verse uh, five tell us, four and five? It says that the river is God. The river is God, flowing to the aid of his people who are being threatened with troubles, tests, trials, and traumas. Now the psalmist was saying in so many words that when threatened, God's people have a constant, never-ending source of supernatural help from God if they choose to rely on him. I mean, I want you to think about John chapter seven, verses 37 through 39. And I'm gonna read that here, but listen to this. The idea here is that when our circumstances threaten us, God is concerned and will help us at just the right time when we need it the most, not too early, not too late, by the river that is living within us right now through Christ. Did you know that you're carrying around with you as a Christian a river? You are river and dwell. You say, okay, will you just tell me what you mean? Sure, I can do that by reading the scriptures. That's the best way to do things I've found. I've had very little, people, once in a while, but I've had very few people argue with me about my preaching, not that they like it, but they don't argue with me about it because I always try to use the scripture. I mean, I've goofed up sometimes and been called on it, thankfully, but the scriptures tell us what uh, is true, and if you look at John uh, seven thirty seven on the last day, last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, 
If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow from within him or her. By this he meant what, everybody, the what? The spirit. Did we get that scripture up there? We did not. Okay, that's my fault. By this he meant the spirit who later, he meant whom those he believed in him were later to receive. So Jesus says every believer has a river, and the river is the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, when we're threatened, we need to go to the river, the Holy Spirit, and he will enable us to deal with the threats. Can you imagine, just, just look at me for a second, can you imagine anything that threatens us being greater than the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's the third person of the Trinity. He's co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son, and he's living inside of us. We are described as the temple of God, the, the, the receptacle the, of the Holy Spirit. There, nothing can, can uh, be stronger than the Holy Spirit, and he's the river that lives in us. One more very short quote from Dr. Stanley. The greatest thing that you and I have as a Christian is a God who is deeply concerned about us. He cares when we hurt, when we are frustrated, when we are uncertain, and we feel lonely. This is not an area of our lives that God is not concerned about. There is not an area of our lives that God is not concerned about, and uh, personally and as a church. And he showed his concern by putting the counselor, the comforter, the river inside of us. Am I too excited about what I'm preaching this morning? I apologize. Okay, I'll try to calm down. But we live in threatening times. And God is close. And he's concerned. Romans 8 tells us, Shall not he who gave up his son for us all, will he not also along with him give us all things? If he's concerned enough to give Jesus to die for us, he's concerned enough to help us deal with our threats. And he proved it by putting the river of the Spirit in us. Drink from the river this week. Amen. Thirdly, God is capable. A third truth that Psalm 46 teaches us when we, or our church, is being threatened by circumstances is he's close, he's near, he's completely everywhere, all at the same time. He's completely there, present, everywhere, all at once. And he's for, this God that's there is for us because we're his children. And he's, he's, um, concerned for us so much so that he gave us the river of the Holy Spirit. And then he's capable. Um, in verse seven it says he's, the God that is with us is almighty. Seven and 11 he says. Almighty, he's, he's mighty over all things. And he has the power to make anything happen that he wants to. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse six, he says, um, he lifts his voice and the earth melts. Okay, I did a little homework, just because I did. And I wanna tell you how much the earth weighs. Even though I don't understand it, math is my worst subject, but the earth is 25,000 miles in diameter, or circumference, one of the, see this is, I'm proving, I know nothing about math. I think it's, what, what would be roundness? 
circumference. circumference. 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs 5,972 sextillion metric tons, and I have no idea what that means. Um, in pounds, it weighs 13,160, followed by 210 pounds. I have no idea what that means. I think it means it's heavy, okay? And what an awesome picture of God's power that in one word, he can melt that thing. And the earth is, is a pebble. It's a grain of sand compared to the planets in our universe. You could fit 25,000 earths inside our sun and you can fit billions of suns inside many of the stars and trillions of suns in the stars of our universe. And in one word, God is going to melt that. You say, chapter and verse, Pastor Mitch, okay. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. God will melt the universe in one word. In the Greek language, when it talks about elements, that means it's subatomic particles. And he's gonna create a brand new universe for us to inhabit forever and ever. Amen. In new resurrection bodies, by the way. Doesn't that, if you agree with me, doesn't that illustrate the capability of God? Yes. My wife said yes. You know, you can always depend on one person, at least. That's, and one of my best friends. Okay, so, the rest of you fooey on you, okay? No, not really. But amen? I mean, God's capability to handle, what are you being threatened by today? I don't know. But God has the capability of melting our threats. And he will. In his time, when we've learned what we need to learn as we experience them, God's got a plan for all these threats. He wants us to learn things from them. But praise God. No threat is too great for God. No threat. Verse eight says, come and see this. Come and see. That, that means pause and meditate on the power and control that God has. Let's go to a fourth one. Psalm 46 teaches us when we or our church are being threatened by our circumstances, personally or corporately, he's close, he's concerned, he's capable, and I love this one. This is a sanity one. He's in control. Look at verses eight through 10. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will, God will love it, be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Sounds like God has an opinion, doesn't it? God is in complete control. He knows not only what's happening, he is control, in control of what's happening. He just doesn't know it. He is in control of it. In the whole world, in all the nations, and in each of our lives, and yes, in the life of our church, Cedar Home Church. Pray this prayer. God, teach us what you want us to know through this challenging time. That's what we need to pray. 
impersonally, Lord, teach me what you want me to know as I'm being threatened or my family member or something is in the sphere of my influence is being threatened. Teach me what you want me to know. Teach me, teach us as a church what you want us to know. That's the best prayer you can pray because God is in control. And he wants us to learn and grow and he wants to bless this wonderful church. And he wants us to have a unique and special and productive, fruitful ministry in this area. And if you don't believe that, I don't know what to do for you. Man, I'm inspired by his control. So positive to know that God's in control. As I read those verses, God's in control. God not only knows what's happening, on the earth, he knows, is in control of everything that's happening, and that goes down, let me hear it, and amen, down to every single detail of our life and the life of our church. Amen, church? Amen. What a, the sovereignty of God, what an awesome, sanity-producing, glorious, comforting truth that God has given us. I personally, one of my favorite verses in all of this is Psalm 139, 16. I'm sorry, this is one of my go-to verses. It says, all the days that were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. They're in the book before they happen. What a great thing to know. God's in control of our future. And what's our job? Well, I'll get to that here in a moment. I really will. But he's in complete control. There's no accidents with God. There are incidents, but there are no accidents. There's some difficult things going on in the life of our church right now. Challenges. God is in control. Can you say, Mitch, can you explain that to me? I really can't. How can God be in total control and we're still responsible for our actions? I don't know, but it's true. How can God be in control and difficult things happen? I don't know, but it's true. Can God be in total control but never, ever do anything sinful or evil? Yes. But God is in total control of your life and mine. He has a plan and a purpose for everything. That nothing gets, let me put it this way, nothing comes into our lives. I feel like the president, I keep looking at my watch. Nothing comes, <laughs> nothing comes into our lives, nothing comes into our lives, I'm sorry, I should not have said that. Can you guys erase that? I'm seeing there going, no, we can't. Um, Nothing, listen, nothing comes into our, listen, nothing comes into our lives or our church that doesn't first pass the reviewing stand of God. Last point. The fifth truth that we need to remember and fasten on to when we feel threatened personally or as a church is that God is close, God is concerned, God is capable God is in control. And then the last one, God calls us to trust him. And this is where we have to maintain an iron will. Trust him. Famous verse, um, 
in the scriptures here that we need to really, really, really fasten on as we wrap up this last point. Verse 10, be still and what? Know that I am God. You see, that's our part. God does all the heavy lifting. I mean, he's, he's close, he's concerned, he's capable, he's in control. Our part, to be still and know that he is God. And I wanna tell you something, everything that I've said this morning is useless for us if we don't be still and know that he is God. All these great things, all of this unspeakably ah, awesome stuff is useless if we aren't, don't be still and know that he is God. If we don't do that, all the anxiety that's, that our fears produce, all, the, all of the, or that our threats produce, all the fear that our threats produce, all the worry that they produce, all the exhaustion that they produce, they're gonna stay there if we aren't still and know that he is God. So that begs the question, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to be still and know that he is God? Well, this is where, uh, this is where you might wanna just leave early. Just get up and go, because you probably don't wanna hear this. Okay, don't then. Stay here. Grit your teeth, get ready to swallow hard, because to be still and know that he is God is a challenge. Just because we're us. Okay, this is what it means. It, it, it doesn't mean, it's the opposite, let me put it, let me talk about what, it, it's the opposite of taking matters into our own hands. Okay? It's the opposite, okay, of trying to figure it all out or trying to resolve the problem ourselves. It's the opposite of going to work on the problem using our own resources or mental resolve. It's the opposite of that because you know what? That only makes stuff worse, at least in my life. Because you know, we, we, we seem to think that unless we're doing something, it's not gonna get done. That's what we think. That's, that's just fear in action is what that is. Okay, I'm afraid God might not come through for me or for us as a church. I gotta do it then, okay? That's fear, that's not faith, all right? And uh, sometimes I think we, we get the idea that if, if we be still and be quiet, then we're not actually doing anything when, a, when actually we're doing the right thing, okay? So I'm just saying this is what it's not. What the word means here, be still, means to abandon or to relax. It means to stop striving. It means to sink, like you're sinking down into a chair. You got that chair at home you just sink down into? You know? It pictures a, a soldier who puts down his weapons, who stops fighting, who lets down his defenses, and who relaxes his entire body because the danger is past. And being still is a very, I'm gonna just say this and then I'll define being still and then we'll close, okay? Being still before God is an active step of faith. Amen. Now, what is it? It means 
yielding control of our lives and our circumstances over to God, believing him to strengthen, lead, and guide us through what is threatening us. But more specifically, being still before God is, how do I say this? This is hard, this is the hard part. Separating ourselves from the noisy, busy culture and life we are in and spending quiet moments with God void of distractions. It means seeking times of extended, quiet communication with God in the word and in prayer or just meditation on our holy God of the Bible and just listening to him for his response. And you know what that takes, brothers and sisters? That takes mass discipline, doesn't it? It takes being intentional. I did it a couple times this week. And I'm telling you, I'm just gonna be straight up honest with you, it was hard. I mean, I have my daily quiet time with God, but over and apart from that, just to get before the Lord and just praise him and pray to him as, and be still before him and, you know, whatever scriptures. And I'm telling you, to get from, to get from my dining room table to that chair was like fighting through um, a, a jungle. Why? Because it's hard to be still and know that he is God. But when you do, great things happen. And so that's what it means to be still and know that he is God. Intentionally scheduling or rescheduling and discipline ourselves to to get before the Lord with utterances through the Holy Spirit, as Romans tells us in chapter eight, with the scriptures, with, with, with praise and prayer and listening in the midst of our threats. Intentionally doing it, it's hard. For you young moms and those of at home that I hope are gonna be bringing your kids this next week back, I know it's hard and I don't wanna minimize you moms and dads that have little ones because it's hard. You can't just go sit in a chair with two or three kids under the age of whatever and it's tough. But it's, but it's what you, you gotta do the best you can. Now, what happens when we are still before the Lord? Now, this is my favorite sentence in the whole message, and it's the last one other than the conclusion, so I am getting there. This is my favorite sentence. I love this sentence. I love it, I love it, I love it. By being still, listen, everybody, by being still, we give God time to reveal who he is to us and give us strategies that will save time and to give us supernatural peace and direction in the midst of our circumstances. And if that doesn't excite you, I didn't do my job today. Being still and knowing he is God gives God time to reveal to us who he really is and give us strategies through the Holy Spirit who wants to lead and guide us that will save us time and energy 
and give us supernatural peace in the, and direction in the midst of our circumstances. That's exciting. And I just want to say briefly, you know, you can't have this unless you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Salvation must, repeat, must uh, come before being still and knowing he is God. But when one repents of their sin and turns to Christ for the forgiveness of their sin and receives him as Lord and Savior of their lives for the forgiveness of their sins, then you can be still and know that he is God too if there's any watching or here that don't know Jesus. But if we know Jesus one more time and we're still before God, we give God time to reveal who, who he is to us and strategies to us that will save time and give us supernatural peace and direction in the midst of our circumstances. You can do it in your car. You can do it at home. You can do it out in a field. You can do it wherever you can get alone with God. Now, I'll close with this question. What threatening circumstances have threatened to rob you of your joy? What are you facing personally or what are we facing as a church that threatened to, to keep us in fear? Remember these truths. God's close. He's completely everywhere, and he's for us. He's concerned, so concerned that he gave us the river of the Holy Spirit. He's capable. He melts the earth and all of the universe in one word and recreates it. So I think he can handle our threats. <laughs> he's in control. He has a plan and a purpose. If we link into that through faith, his sovereignty, we will have his peace. He's working out a plan, and he wants us to trust him. And if you do this, whatever your, your circumstances are, whether they change right away or not, God will give you the supernatural ability and direction to handle them and live through them and even above them. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand, let's close in prayer. Abba, Father, we are staggered by how much you are concerned for us. It's staggering. The resources that you've put, that you've given us to deal with our personal and corporate threats. Nothing that we've heard today, no threat, rather, that can stand up to what we've heard today. Help us to be still and know that you are God so that these attributes and promises can be real in our lives. Thank you for taking care of us, Lord. Whether, we're, whether the ki there are people, kids here at grade school age, middle school, high school, college, young marrieds, all the way up to our oldest attendee, it doesn't matter. These are promises for us. Help us to incorporate them into our lives. Thank you, God, for your word that is so timely. We love you and we appreciate you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. God bless you this morning. Have a great week. Continue to pray for our church. Bless those around you. Give someone a hello on your way out. <laughs>